Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Today we're going to answer some questions about tipping. Uh, give us 20%. Paul, we're not worth 20%. <laughs> and it, and it, it'd, be, it'd be 20% of nothing anyway. <laughs> well, then that would be just about what we're worth, right? That is true. That is true. Also today we have listener questions about cheap wine and leaving wine in the car. And mm. our horrible wine writing comes uh, with a bit of authority. Plus, as usual, <laughs> we will make fun of wine snobs. Oh, boy. But we're starting with questions from a listener in your neck of the woods, Paul. Good. Peter. Peter Reed in Napa. Uh-huh. And he said, I saw a story about tipping sommeliers in the paper, but it wasn't clear what it was saying about expensive wine and tips. Not that I can afford to get a really expensive bottle. Well, sure, he lives in Napa. He's paying all his money on rent. But if I win <laughs> the lottery someday, do I still tip 15 or 20% on a $300 bottle of wine? Yes. Because he just won the lottery, yeah. right? Well, and, and I'm sorry, but that's the way it works yeah. is – that you tip on the total price of the meal, and if the wine is included in the meal, then you tip on the total amount. So, yeah, that's the way it works. Well, I'm going to be just a little equivocal because uh, there are well, sort you're of— already little, so all you can... <laughs> so you're just, so you're just going to be equivocal. It's much easier when you're little. Um, <laughs> it's t- uh, two, There's sort of two schools of thought, and the first is what Paul is saying, which is don't order something you can't pay for. You that's don't right. get food you can't afford. That's right. By the way, I, I should point out there are two schools of thought not in the restaurant business. The no. restaurant business is clear. You tip on the whole amount. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on gonna... the consumer side. Yes, and the other is that an inexpensive bottle costs the same to open as the pricey one. There, however, there are other issues, and and I do think that I would argue otherwise. As a guy who's done a lot of consulting for restaurants, um, that that at cer- at a certain point. You know, well, there's a tendency to, you know, the, if you want to reward your, your tipper, your tipper, your server well, yep. is to, you know, to give 20%. And at a certain point when you've got that $300 bottle of wine, you've got this massive bill. Yep. The server is really just seeing the total. So, uh, you know, the, they're, they're basically, you're, when you tip off of that total, I might argue that, you know, you don't need to do 20. Go 15. You know, it's be, be, be polite, but... That and if, however, if you're somebody who can afford it because you bought a three hundred dollar bottle, and then absolutely you well, tip. Well, if full. you can't afford it, you shouldn't be doing it. Well, you but that to one, go into a restaurant, saving up to get that one bottle, that special go bottle. Go into a restaurant, order a really special dinner, and then not be able to afford it. And so the solution is to short the server. I don't think so, Rick. I don't think you're going to well, get invited sure back. You're, you're, Shorting a server if the tab comes to a thousand dollars and the meal was, or what wouldn't be a thousand? Yeah, maybe. but you, a you, you may, you may think of it that way. But the server's thinking about this as they watch the meal progress. The server is make no mistake about it. In the in the midst of everything else they're doing, serving tables and all the rest, they're also thinking, "Wow, thank goodness I got two tables here who didn't order much, but this one guy over here is going to actually make my night because they just ordered a couple of nice bottles of wine." And then find come to find out they didn't tip on the wine, that's going to ruin her well, or his night. I don't say night. don't tip you on the wine. I'm saying you don't need to do the 20%. You can go to 15 Okay. Uh, but though I do think there's a couple things that you sort of look in, you know, which is one is, you know, how's the service overall? And, and you know, we have, um, I've done some stories on on tipping over the years and, 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 and a couple just recently I talked to uh, a couple of the, the people who have the foremost researchers on tipping. Uh-huh. You know, one's, a, it's are, pretty, are, one's at Cornell, it's one's pretty at Michigan fun State. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and one of the things is that often people don't tip based on service. They actually tip 
um, for other reasons. Based on other things, that's yeah. right. But um, yep. but yep. I think as you're evaluating whether it's going to be 15 and 20 percent on that wine or whatever is it is you know how was the service in general was the service wine person helpful or non-existent and you know for their other special touches if you ordered an old bottle and they had to wrangle well, a cork or a new absolutely. bottle but if you're going to order a $300 bottle of wine if it's a red wine chances are they're going to decant it that's more work that's right. more time that's less time spent at the table I, you know let's be fair Rick the, the whole system is crazy. We ought to do it the way they do it in Europe, which is you pay for the meal. The servers get paid a living wage by the restaurant. They charge a, a reasonable amount for the food, and everybody goes home happy. But we're kind of stuck with this system, so we kind of need to make it work for everybody. So you you basically come down on the side. There is no point at which there is a price where you wouldn't – whatever the price for the wine, the meal, you, you would always tip the, the max? Here's the weird one. Here's the one weird scenario. You go out to dinner. You and I go out to dinner with a you, dear friend who we, happens to have more money than God. We don't usually get allowed in together. <clears throat> right. Throw no, one no. or often both of us. So we sit down, and our friend says, I'll tell you what. You guys pick up the food. I'll pick up the wine. Order whatever you want. Well, you being you and me being me, we walk in, we order hamburgers, and we order a bottle of Dom Perignon at $300 on the wine list, and then we order a bottle of Opus at $300. And now you and I are paying for the food, so we're into it for 15 bucks a piece for the hamburger, and he's paying for the wine at 600 bucks. And suddenly he's looking at this and saying, do I really tip an extra 120 bucks on the $600? And the answer is yes, in my mind. But in that scenario, sometimes, you know, when somebody says you order the wine or I'll order the food and all the rest, there gets to be a little bit of a discrepancy in all of that that makes it more complicated. Well, and plus this guy's never talking to us again, but that's beside the point. He wanted to go to lunch with us so he could drink really good stuff, and that's why he did it, Rick. Well, then he should tip. Well, the problem was we asked a waiter not to bring him a glass because we wanted to drink it all ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) So what about when you bring your own bottle? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So isn't now, it? how do you figure this? So in? instead of ordering the Opus One off the wine list, I bring in a bottle of really expensive old Bordeaux that I stole out of your cellar. Yeah, and, it was stored badly, Paul. You're not going to like it. <laughs> and so instead of ordering a two or three hundred dollar bottle off the list, I'm bringing in a bottle and I'm paying corkage. I frankly am an okay with a restaurant saying corkage for an average bottle of wine is 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I'm okay with that. If I bring in a really expensive older bottle of wine and I want them to decant it and bring out the really expensive fishbowl glasses and all the rest, and they tell me, you know what, the corkage on this bottle is going to be 35, I'm okay with that too. Well, I say that's when you actually add to the tip as well. Yep. I mean, they're probably, yep. I think, I mean, it's a very sophisticated, in a way, a restaurant yep. that would actually do increase the corkage. Yeah. But that's when you really reach out and, and you know, but there's often when there, you when you bring a bottle, and it could be a very expensive bottle. Yep. When that doesn't require anything extra, they might put good glasses. There's another. I mean, that's a that's sort of another road to wander down about why don't they put the good glasses for all the wines? But <laughs> I have eaten in a restaurant in Italy where they literally had four sizes of glasses depending on the price yeah. of the wine you ordered. Uh, there's a restaurant in in my town of Sacramento that's like that. Yep. Now, but the other the other solution there is oftentimes when you bring in a rare wine like that. And I realize this never happens with you, Rick, but with 
with uh, my wife and me, we often don't finish the bottle. And we often turn to the waiter or sommelier and say, share the rest with your staff so people know what this wine tastes like. And even though I'll tip on that, they also get a little added bonus of tasting a really rare, interesting, and hopefully good wine. Yeah, and that, that's always a nice thing. And that's actually always a suggestion, even when you bring in something interesting, uh, this, whether you're intending to finish it, as I often am, uh, you uh, give them a taste. Offer your sure. server a taste. I mean, yep. Often they won't be able to take it, but you know you can say, just well, pour yourself a little bit, put it in the back. And in a lot of shift. cases, they will be hesitant to pour it for themselves. And mm-hmm. so I act, actually sometimes uh, when I when that's clear to me that that's what the problem is. You know, you're the sommelier. The guy says, hey, I brought in this $1,000 bottle of wine. Why don't you pour yourself a taste? And the question is, how much do you pour for yourself? Well, that's tough. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I often, when I want the sommelier to taste the wine or want to offer that opportunity, I say, well, could you bring me one extra glass and I pour the taste? Wow, so that's, that, that's like a, a cool move, Paul. It's so unlike you. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Everyone's trying to get one right. So, yeah. You know, and we were talking about like that research on tips, and there's all kinds of reasons why they tip. But the it, there's all the one that it sort of boils down to in most cases is why, why people tip. We're just talking regular tips now is because we want them to like us. We The, the tipper wants the, want the people in the restaurants to think well of us. And we need all the friends we can get. We can. We certainly do. So it really does depend on how desperate you are for that sort of thing. <laughs> and we know you we're— You must be a big tipper. I am desperately <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of desperate, uh, we're going to continue uh, with some people who are desperate because they asked us questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we'll take a few questions now. Thanks for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, by the way. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is our website if you're not listening there. Uh, and uh, ask away. And we will, be, we will answer it with all usual desperation. All right. This one is our first question is from Rhonda in Ashland, Oregon. Which is wine country. Which is wine country. It's yes, true. Makes some nice wine. Also country. Shakespeare country. Mm-hmm. Who's yep. a wine drinker. Now we're going down a bad road. Okay, let me start <laughs> over. This is from Rhonda in Ashland, Oregon, and she says, Is cheap wine bad for you? My boyfriend says it is, though I'm not sure why he cares since you should see all the junk food he eats. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so um, first of all, she's absolutely <laughs> right. If he's eating junk food, he's got nothing to talk yeah, about. the worst in thing in wine is not going to hurt him. I'm, I'm going to go on record here. I believe that because of the size of the winery and the number of different vineyards and bulk wine elements they have access to, it is easier for a large winery to solve problems that they may encounter in winemaking without using, let's say, invasive processes, chemicals, etc., than it is a small winery. Small winery, you make a wine and it tastes bad, you got to go, you got to fix it. A large winery makes a lot of wine that tastes bad. By the time they blend it in with 4,700 other lots, nobody even notices. So I'm going to argue that, in fact, cheap wine is not bad for you. It's about the same as every other kind of wine. Yeah, and and there's, I mean, you should you can think about it a couple ways. One of the things is, one of the ways they can fix wine is um, with technology. So I mean they're gonna they spin they basically spin some stuff out. Uh, there's I mean there's other things that go on, but the big folks can afford to do that better than the little folks can. Yeah, um, uh, uh, it was true actually. Yeah, it was uh, where like and there's things that you know there was that lawsuit. Uh, right. Uh, not so long ago about right. arsenic and, in wine. And, and the lawsuit claims that the inexpensive wines had arsenic in them, and it turns out that actually. 
carrots and rice and yeah. everything because it arsenic, was the same level of as vegetables and, and and arsenic is in the soil and as wine is a natural product it produces its and maybe that's what is meant by mineral when mineral. you get a wine that has a mineral character maybe they're talking about arsenic yeah yeah uh, probably not probably not i think because, i think it's back to the lead thing we've been landed on last couple of because, shows yeah know. the levels of arsenic in wine are so low that they are below the standards of yes. european and and canadian drinking water and other things so it's it, that that's all pretty and, amusing. And, and you know the Canadians are very serious about their drinking water. Yes, they, they are. They have, uh, it's the land of sky blue water. No, that's something else. Um, okay. <laughs> that's, but that's to, answer, Rhonda, to answer your question, no, they're not. And yes, your boyfriend is probably, you know, one bad burger is probably giving him much closer well, to Well, he's eating seriously. real junk food. It's yeah. sitting on the sofa eating, eating deep fried things. Who would love deep fried things. <laughs> Actually, salty deep fried things and wine. Really good. <laughs> Great combination. Yes. All right. This next one is from Chris Garcia in Petaluma. I am seeing more and more cocktails made with wine. Do they use good wine or is it pretty cheap stuff? Wow. That's a really complicated question because, first of all, they're selling cocktails. So the average price for your ingredient in a cocktail cocktail has to be relatively low or you can't afford to use it. But gosh, uh, Rick, what would you do if someone gave you a bottle of a really expensive wine and then showed you how he wanted to serve it to you by combining it with 7-Up, a splash of bitters, and a hit of... Um, I'd swap uh, it out for some cheap wine. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. Which is not bad for you, so there's no reason you couldn't do that. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any reason to use expensive yeah. wine in this stuff. In, in most of the, if you're getting, if you're getting, especially these cocktails in bars and stuff, they're not. There's no reason for them. Although um, at a restaurant I was at last night, they used this really beautiful sort of rose flavored sparkling. An Italian, it was an Italian sparkling, huh. um, and then and then put in a little bit of liqueur with it. But so the, it wasn't the world's most expensive wine, but it wasn't the world's cheapest either. But you, it was the rose, the in essence, the rose flavors in the wine. Itself. So wait a minute, it was it was a flavor infused wine. No, it's it just the wine itself had smelled this, like it, roses. It was, a, it was a red, it was a red sparkling. The grapes themselves had carried that, so it was just had this uh -huh. lovely uh -huh. scent, scent of roses. It wasn't it wasn't Brachetto de Acqui, was it? No. Oh, okay. Uh, in any case, um, so Wild. But, so yeah, they are. And if you're making a co wine cocktails at home, and there are some really, I've had a couple of really good wine cocktails lately. For you know, as, as we as we trend towards warmer weather, yes. Um, and uh, but yeah, don't don't waste the good stuff on that. It's just like with cooking, same thing, right? Right. You know, don't you don't have you know don't put the rot gut in your food, so to speak. Not that there's any rot gut out there, of course, but um, but you're going to cook out the nuances. Same thing with the cocktail. You're right. going to blend right. out. By the, the time nuances. you blend it in with a couple right. of other things that have more powerful flavors, the wine is a an afterthought. It is. Um, and we hate for that to happen, but there you go. All right. Well, that's it for questions for now. Uh, we will have a little bit more in the second half, or later in the show, actually. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time for some really horrible wine writing. I can't help myself. Paul, I always dance to that music. <laughs> I don't know why, because what comes up is actually so sad. Yeah, it after does. That. It makes you want to cry, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Um, 
Well, well, you have. Uh, I'm not going to give away your word. I was going to use bad puns, but we don't do puns on this show. And no, by we the don't. way, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, what what word have you brought in? For well, us? I've always had a little bit of a problem with authority. I've noticed that about you, Paul. And authority, I think, is a bad word to use to describe wine. This wine has great authority. This wine has great authority, and it makes you feel like maybe you should, um, you know, you should rebel against yeah. it. Maybe yeah. you should pour it into a smaller glass and stick a lemon in it and see how it likes that. So, Paul, when a wine has great authority, what does it taste like? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it tastes sort of like the vice principal at my high school, I guess. I don't know. I don't really and then, want to go any farther with and that then, And then you've got the other side of that, which is that there are wines that are also dis- described as being confident. Ah, yes. That's sort of the cousin of authority, right? Well, I think takes that's sort of the— to be authority. I think that's sort of a confident scheme, actually. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not doing so puns. So a confident wine is what? A is that, a wine that stands up straight in the glass. I, I was going to say it's probably a wine that tips well. <laughs> no, no, I, it doesn't tip well because it doesn't it t- need to be liked. Ah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, so what do you got? Yeah, this is from a blogger who uh, I'm not going to identify whether it's a him or her, but this him or her fancies him or herself a wine critic. <sighs> Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I had a sign. You're gonna, a this, one, this one's going to cause some pain. The vines are farmed in diverse low-vigor vineyard sites ranging from valley floor, sandy loam, and gravel to steep slope volcanic rock and shale hillsides. That's all. That's basically one noun clause, by the way. <laughs> Let me just say that again. From valley floor, sandy loam, and gravel to steep slope volcanic rock and shale hillsides. A range that is evident in the wine. Well, yes, because the <laughs> wine is what? It's shaley. Well, no, it, can't. it also is gravelly, loamy, and, sloped, and sandy volcanic, run. sandy. It, wow. Right. It's fruit forward, easy to drink, and would pair with red meat, Italian entrees, <laughs> and, <laughs> and roasted or grilled, fragrantly spiced poultry dishes. 89 points. Okay. Um, Italian entrees? <laughs> I know. Like, does that mean pasta? linguine con vongole? I don't or know. does it mean. It Ita- does it have to be cooked in Italy? Is it from a. What is an Italian entree? Given that the spectrum of Italian food pretty much goes from one end to the other in every possible way, that it combines well with Italian entree, you might as well just say, goes well with food. This is not an Italian wine, by the way. Yeah, no, but no. it goes well with food. Right, it, it, right. It, well, red meat and Italian entrees could be the same. Roasted or grilled, fragrantly roasted or grilled or fragrantly spiced poultry dishes. That's like any kind of poultry dish. So it goes with any kind of meat. Well, no, chicken pot pie would not, I think, would not fit in that category. So it would go with all poultry dishes. Except chicken pot except, pie. Except chicken pot pie. Unless it was Italian. Then it's, then it is cacciatore. There you go. Yeah. Though, uh, I, I want to go back to this person's, uh, idiotic notion here <laughs> that first off you have to exp- you are not going to let this die you have are to you? explain all of these forms of soil gravel hillside right. but and then a range that is evident in the wine evident in the wine because you can see that you know what i'm going to tell you something like, i want to gla- i want a bottle of this wine i'm going to grab three other wines i'm going to pour it blind for this person and they're going to tell me which one has the evident soil types in well, it well i think as you're tasting it first you on the valley floor and then you're transplanted to a hillside well i thought then- as you as you swirl it on the glass, the wine that was grown on the valley floor stayed in the bottom oh, of the glass, and, and the hillsides oh, then went the up on the sides, sides of the and coated the right. That's how yes. you can tell. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. 89 is, points. 89 points. And that's, you know, this is... <laughs> so, why not, I'm asking, with all of this, why not 90? Right. 
because 89, 89 is like the is the is the is the wobbler. Eighty nine is the miscongeniality. It's the non commitment. It's uh, the miscongeniality. It is not a confident score. It yeah. is not a, th- a score of authority. <laughs> Given authority. That's yeah. right. And you know this is the thing too, um, <laughs> where the folks who want to get into wine writing or have a blog and, and they love it and they're into it and that's all great. But if you want people to get something out of it. Tell them what the wine tastes like. You don't, you know, even if you know what all those things are, it doesn't, you know. There's only one word in the entire review you read that describes the wine. Fruit forward. Yep. Everything else is well, either drink, where yeah. it was grown or what it's good with. Right. But that's not a review of the wine. actually describes the wine itself. Right. Right. And that's in that's that's uh, another common mistake that a lot of young or newer or now really bad um, bloggers, writers, whatever, is that this they think that telling the story of the wine is doing that is telling yeah. the soils. And and, yeah. the, and if there is a story in the wine, it's the people. And yeah. but it's also the story of what the wine tastes like, because yeah. that's what we're asking for them. Now, I would absolutely love to know about the people behind it, because that sometimes makes me more interested. But. In any case. Well, these are people who eat Italian entrees. All right. Well, I can say with great authority and confidence <laughs> that it's time for us to answer another question or two. Excellent. All right. You can find us at rickandpaulwine.com to ask us a question if you don't happen to be listening to us there. This is from Debbie in Oakland. What's racking? Yeah. I see this a lot on winemaker notes. What is it? What does it do to a wine? Well, um, it's when, when you have an elk. No, when you're when you are interested in a, making a linear wine, you put the wine on the rack and you stretch <laughs> it until this was, it's this long. Was a, this was a, this was bad writing from a week ago. I think <laughs> was what that was. Yes, racking wine is a simple process. Wine, as it ages in a barrel, uh, generally settles out a lot of sediment, and you see the same thing sometimes in unfiltered wines in your very own cellar. They will settle out. Now, this would mean, Rick, that you wouldn't drink it the minute you brought it home from the store. I wait. I'm supposed to wait to get it home? <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know that. My point is well made. Okay. Okay. So you put wine in a barrel, and the sediment kind of filters down to the bottom. You wait. You let it settle in there a little bit. And then there are really cool little fittings that go on the end of hoses, and they go down to the bottom of the barrel, and then they curve up about an inch and a half so that it sucks all of the wine out of the barrel without disturbing that sediment on the bottom. And you take that clean wine, put it into a clean barrel, and that's called racking. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's uh, it's the siphon principle, like it's you're, you know, stealing yes. wine from, I mean wine, stealing gas from, from a tank. Uh, not that I've ever done that. I'm no, just I'm saying, sure you haven't. I'm saying I know how to do it. You've, so. you've yeah, you've stolen uh, wine from bottles, I've, though. Yes, I have. You've siphoned uh, wine out of bottles. Right. And, and, uh, and so the... It's it's it, a delicate way of treating the wine in some ways, but let me tell you this. There is not a winemaker on the planet who, when tasting a wine blind, can tell you how many times it's been racked or why, which makes me wonder why it's even in the description because nobody cares. But they can tell you if a wine has or has not been. Well, they can't tell you, but there is a difference. And I, I actually uh, taught a class at a winery uh, maybe a year or two ago where it was the same wine before and after racking. Uh-huh. And, sure. and the wine after racking it is actually it's 
been oxygenated a little sure. bit. It's moved sure. around. It's been so, aerated. But yeah. you can do the same thing by blowing bubbles into the Sure, lungs. it's true, too. You do that in but, the glass. Well. In a little straw, blow a little yeah, few bubbles, no, I, and aerate the it's wine. It's really fun, too, <laughs> especially with red wines because you get the bubbles big all over the place. Um, but you're right, and, and that is it's true. It is one of those things where it's 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 a tech note that is a bit like the that description we just read. You know, this all gets back to I was in I was speaking at a winery just recently in Spain, and one of them asked me, "What do we do when people ask us how long the wine was in oak?" Because they said our winemaker explains that a percentage of the wine goes in a certain kind of oak for some time, and then another percentage goes in for another kind of oak for another kind of time, and then some of the wine goes into a tank, and then if the first lot doesn't turn out quite the way they want it to, they may put it in another kind of oak for a while, and then they blend it all together, and then the customer says, how many months in oak? Yeah, right. And, of course, the funny thing is wineries put that information on the on their description. They spent 18 months in America. People love no, that stuff. No, it didn't. Yeah. Some of the wine spent some time in some oak, and they're just making an absolute broad-ass guess about what was happening yeah. here. Some of them do say an average of. Yeah, but, but what but, a waste but of time and energy. Mean anything what a waste right. of time and energy. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. Um, the, the critic with the uh, shale and low-vigor vineyard, with the yes, cares. with that, the Italian that, entrees. Yes, the Italian entrees. Well, it does affect your Italian entrees. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think we're past the entree and the dessert, and we're going to close down another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thanks Thank to, you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is our website if you're not already there. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes as well. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's be generous when you're tipping, but it still won't get them to like you. At least not you. It's never worked for me. <laughs> uh, I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us.